Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Welcome to The Point, an opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I'm Li Xin. After the first U.S. fatalities since the latest flare-up in the Israel-Hamas conflict, the U.S. began its retaliation. On Friday, the U.S. launched airstrikes against over 85 targets in Iraq and Syria for a drone attack that killed three U.S. troops in Jordan on January the 28th. The U.S. attributed the attack to what it believed to be Iran-backed militias, but Iran rejects the claim. In matching statements, Syria and and Iraq both accused the U.S. of escalating tensions in the region through these strikes. However, the U.S. maintains that it does not see conflict in the Middle East or anywhere else, insisting that it only acted in retaliation. Now, some 16 Iraqis and 23 Syrians are reported to have been killed in the U.S. strikes, including civilians. Meanwhile, it's reported that the Biden administration has discussed a slowing weaponry delivery to Israel to pressure its Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to scale back its military assault in the Gaza Strip. What is the U.S. faced with at this moment in the Middle East? I'm pleased to be joined from Washington, D.C. by Professor Klaus Lares, Professor of History and International Affairs at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Also from Washington, D.C. by Nega Mortazavi. She is a journalist and host of Iran podcast and a senior fellow at the Center for International Policy. Warm welcome to both of you. Let me go to Ms. Mortazavi first. Was the latest development significant? Um, do you think the Israel-Hamas conflict has become a regional conflict between U.S. and Israel on one side and Iran on the other? Thank you for having me. I think the conflict has slowly expanded beyond just an Israel-Hamas confrontation since October 7th all we've seen has been escalation. Now, these escalations are small, they're limited, they're calculated by both sides, but we see that Israel and essentially the United States, it's uh, most important backer in the region, are engaged in multiple fronts against Iran and its allies on the other side in the Red Sea, as you mentioned, uh, in northern Israel with Lebanon, Hezbollah, and also in Iraq and Syria, in addition to the Israel-Hamas war. So the conflict has certainly expanded beyond just the greater Israel or between Israel and Palestinians, and it seems to just be heading for more escalation. Professor Laras, now the Biden administration and various officials within the administration have said that they are not seeking war, uh, not in the Middle East, not elsewhere, and the uh, uh, spokesperson for the Ministry, for the Secretary of Defense, refused to call it a war. Iran also said, we do not look for war, but uh, uh, what is happening at this moment and where do you think the tit for tat will lead? Well, the crisis has clearly uh, expanded, but we don't see yet a regional war. And the United States has repeatedly made clear it doesn't want to attack Iran directly. And it has actually carefully calibrated its retaliatory uh, uh, strikes. And they have really carefully avoided hitting Iranian territory. Ter territory and Iran has done the same that and said that it has nothing to do with the attacks on uh, uh, the shipping lanes in the Red Sea or the attacks on these uh, uh, American soldiers in Jordan, uh, three of them uh, who were killed. 
And uh, of course, we still see a very dangerous situation. But what was the United States supposed to do after three of its soldiers had been killed? They could not just sit by and tolerate that. And particularly, one has to understand that the Biden administration is under immense domestic pressure from Congress and from the Republicans uh, generally. So I think what we saw was a fairly calibrated uh, attack, counterattack. It could have been much worse. And so far, I think both sides and the Iranians as well try to not to escalate it too much. Ms. Motazavi, what is your view on this, plus the details coming out of the latest development? For instance, the United States waited four or five days to retaliate. Um, it hit 85 targets, however, uh, quite a large number, and it even ordered long-range B-1 bombers to fly from the United States thousands of miles away. And you see these barrage of uh, um, posts by the U.S. Central Command on the Platform X. What is being uh, considered, what, is, what are the aim of all of these optics, if you agree they are optics? Well, the U.S. took a calculated step towards escalation. As I mentioned, what we've seen since October 7 has been calculated escalations on both sides. This was another calculated, limited escalation on the U.S. side with the idea of establishing deterrence against Iran and its allies, the so-called axis of evil, but nevertheless, I don't think the United States and the Biden administration has exhausted the opposite of what's escalation and conflict, which is diplomacy. I don't think we've seen enough diplomatic engagement, the use of the various parties who have offered mediation, the Qataris, the Omanis, some Europeans, um, to essentially resolve this conflict or lower the temperature. And so where we are now, where that attack happened on the U.S. base in Jordan, yes, the Biden administration was in a position that they had to respond considering a lot of this is also domestic uh, in an election year. But from the beginning of this conflict, from October 7th, I don't think the United States has used its leverage over its ally Israel enough to exhaust the diplomatic path as opposed to just expanding the conflict. Professor uh, Laras, do you agree that the U.S. has not used um, the diplomatic leverage it has over Israel to resolve this? And uh, uh, if so, why not? Regarding Israel, there is a, it's partially true. I think there could have been more diplomatic engagement and above all more pressure on Israel to uh, have a more proportional response to preserve the life of civilians much more than was done. The Biden administration has tried to put an awful lot of pressure on Israel. Whether it was enough, probably not, and more could have been done. Regarding the Red Sea and the Houthis, I mean, there is no diplomacy working. The Biden administration has warned the Houthis for weeks and weeks that they should stop their attacks on ships, or often civilian ships, not just ships which were uh, American ships or British ships. These were, you know, ships from all sorts of nations and uh, that they should stop the attacks on the ships. Otherwise, there would be retaliation. And the Houthis simply ignored them and continued hitting these ships. And so uh, what choice did, did uh, the Biden administration 
administration or what choice would any administration have had in, or, uh, in order to uh, make that stop? And of course, so far, the Houthis haven't been intimidated. They're continuing to, uh, to attack uh, the ships in these important shipping lanes in the Red Sea. But I guess after more attacks, eventually the Houthis will have to cave in. They should have done that, of course, uh, weeks ago. They should never have started to attack civilian ships in this very busy shipping lanes, which all the world needs to uh, 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 to use its supply lines from uh, that part of the world to Europe, Asia, and other uh, uh, parts of the world. Ms. Mortazavi, do you agree that uh, um, the uh, issue of attacks by the Houthis over the commercial ships using that uh, water lane can be dealt with separately uh, if the U.S. has not done enough to curb the civilian casualty inflicted because of Israel's assault on Gaza? Well, no, I, I don't think the Red Sea situation or that front is separate from what's happening in Gaza or the Israel-Hamas war. I don't think what's happening in Iraq and Syria and also in the northern front with Hezbollah is separate. This is all stemming from that conflict. This has, is a result of escalation since October 7th. I think this is a byproduct of that lack of exhausting uh, diplomatic engagement and a diplomatic path and just expanding the conflict. Now, I think the U.S. and the Israeli side wants to keep this issue separate. The U.S. has uh, uh, attacked multiple strikes in the past three days, today, yesterday, and the day, be the day before. They have launched attacks on various different uh, groups as part of the so-called axis of evil, and each of them uh, their messaging as separate attacks. But the other side, the what they call themselves the resistance side, allies of Iran, they don't see these separate. They see all of this as entangled uh, and sort of connected to what's happening in Gaza, the Houthis, Hezbollah, the militias in Iraq, essentially saying they want to raise the cost for Israel. They want to raise the cost for the United State, uh, States uh, so that that war either stops or that, that that side of the war gets weakened. So what kind of tools, uh, Professor Laris, does the United States have to contain what it believes are separate smaller scale um, conflicts in, in this uh, wider uh, region? Because it uh, seems that it has proven um, quite weak in its pressure for Israel to change its course of action. And Iran has said in its statement uh, towards the U.S. retaliation that the tension in the crisis region had roots in the Israeli occupation and continued military operations in Gaza and the United States' unlimited support for Israel. What is your view? Well, the, root, the, the roots of this conflict go back decades and decades. That is very true. But the actual inflaming of the contact happened of course because Hamas brutally attacked and killed 1200 Israeli civilians mostly and that started it all there was no reason to do that and then of course the Israelis uh, uh, reacted probably not in the most proportionate way possible but it all started because of Hamas it was not Israel it was not the United States who started that recent conflagration of the conflict and the Houthis, how they come in, why they believe it would support the Palestinian case by uh, 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 attacking ships in that busy shipping lane of the Red uh, uh, Sea is um, uh, questionable. Why would they think that that would be uh, supporting Israel? Because many of these... Uh, 
uh, ships have actually nothing to do with the United States or Israel. These are just free trading nations, you know, Canadian ships, Australian ships, and Egypt, uh, Middle Eastern countries loses millions but of we, dollars. We're actually talking day. more about, you know, the... Um, you know the the conflict and the you know u.s hitting targets in iraq and yeah, in syria yeah let me come to that and of course a diplomatic solution is always preferable to a military solution uh, but there's very little the united states can do if these so-called proxy forces whether they are supported directly by iran or only indirectly by financial means if they uh, attack uh, um, american forces in iraq or syria you know i think that has very little to do or only indirectly to do what is happening in gaza i All think right. we should focus on gaza and here the united states needs to put more pressure on Israel so that the response is more proportional and that also that recent deal which was negotiated that Hamas hopefully agrees to that deal and the hostage deal and the ceasefire can be obtained and here of course the United States has a very important role to play. Um, Ms. Mortazavi, do you agree with that and uh, if you have any reactions? Well U.S. officials have actually stated that during even temporary periods of ceasefire within this war, attacks by the militias, by the so-called axis of uh, resistance has been reduced or stopped. And we've seen this pattern in the past also, whenever there has been negotiations or diplomacy between the U.S., Iran, or one side of the party and the other, these kind of attacks and hostilities have been either reduced or completely stopped. This goes all the way back uh, to nuclear negotiations, even between Iran and the U.S. So there has been a pattern that when diplomacy happens, conflict is reduced when you try to bomb when the u.s tries to bomb its way through the middle east we've seen how that disaster has turned out in the invasion of iraq and the invasion of afghanistan and the multiple other uh, fronts that the u.s has been uh, involved in and let me just make a note about the domestic issue this is an election year and this is very much domestic but at the same time the american public does not support another big war in the All middle right. east now okay. the administration yeah. doesn't want to enter that war but i think they're essentially sleepwalking into a broader well conflict. we keep a close watch on the situation many thanks to professor klaus laras and uh, nega mortazavi joining us both from washington dc we'll take a short break and when we come back the cia director says the agency has doubled down on spying on china what are they hoping to find stay tuned we all enter this world with a universal greeting. <laughs> we then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world. Making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is The Point. For your eyes only or for the entire world to hear,
U.S. spy chief CIA director William Burns mentioned China at least seven times in a recent article published in Foreign Affairs calling China's rise both a geopolitical challenge and a big long-term threat. Burns revealed that the CIA has more than doubled the percentage of its overall budget focused on China over just the past two years. And a China mission center has been set up making China the only country in the world with its own center under the CIA. Burns tells the world that they have stepped up hiring and training Mandarin-speaking spies while stepping up efforts across the world to compete with China. While the Biden administration has advocated a strategy to stabilize relations with China, including cooperating where they could, is this strategy going to work in reality? What does the apparent paradox reveal? And how can China safeguard itself against what some perceive as America's Orwellian surveillance? I'm pleased to be joined from Beijing by Benjamin Norton, editor-in-chief of Geopolitical Economy Report, and by Victor Gao, chair professor at Suzhou University. Gentlemen, welcome to The Point. So, Mr. Burns repeatedly mentions China in the article, stating that China remains the only U.S. rival with both the intent and uh, possibly the power to do so. Mr. Gao, that is the premise of the U.S.-China uh, strategy under the Biden administration. Is there something wrong with it? Absolutely. I think Mr. Burns, the CIA and the U.S. government are completely misguided in how to read China. It is true that China's economic development is still pushing ahead. And I would say around 2030, the overall size of the Chinese economy measured by official exchange rate will surpass that of the United States. This is inevitable. On the other hand, China is perfectly happy just to uh, live in peace with the United States. Uh, your God for you, my God for me, and we are not going out there to challenge whatever the United States is. However, the United States seems very eager to view China in a hostile manner and claiming that the rise of China constitutes a threat to the United States. Come on, China will continue to rise and you have to live with that fact. Now, on the other hand, the fact that Mr. Burns reveals that the United States is doubling the size of the China operation within the CIA, allocating more funds, hiring more people, is either a bluffing or an open challenge to China. And this will only strengthen China's uh, confidence and the resources to yeah. deal with these espionage activities yeah. launched by the United States mm -hmm. against China. Benjamin, um, you know, China is obviously getting the attention <laughs> that uh, um, other countries would envy. I mean, a China mission center, you know, doubling the percentage of uh, funding for the CIA, according to Mr. Burns. Does China really deserve this special treatment? And why announcing it to the world? Uh, is it to an alarm China? Obviously not. But what's the point of making it clear to the world that the U.S. is doing this and has been doing this over the past couple of years? Well, it's clearly a threat. And if you read carefully in the article in Foreign Affairs, you can see that Burns, the CIA director, repeatedly refers to China as a so-called threat and the biggest so-called threat. Now, for me as an American, for many American people, this is ridiculous. The idea that China threatens us as people, like it's going to attack the U.S., is ridiculous. When they say threat, what they really mean is a so-called threat to the U.S.-dominated hegemonic order. And this is quite frustrating because the U.S. government constantly claims, at least the Biden administration claims, 
that it does not want a new Cold War. Instead, they refer to their policy as competition. But if you read carefully what Burns and other officials have said, they're using Cold War rhetoric. In fact, in his foreign affairs article, Burns says that the post-Cold War era ended with the war in Ukraine in 2022, and he refers to both Russia and China as a threat. So if you read between the lines, he's essentially saying that the U.S. is waging a new Cold War. It reminds me of this very aggressive rhetoric from Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State, who also gave a speech in which he said that the U.S. goal is to shape the strategic environment around China. That is containment policy. So we see that the U.S. has not learned any of the lessons of the previous Cold War. It's engaged in this very aggressive kind of Cold War strategy. And if you read the article, he says very clearly that the U.S. also sees China as a so-called technological threat. And this is why the U.S. is waging a tech war on China. They talk about competition, but they actually don't want competition from Chinese technology companies. <laughs> well, they, and in his article, Burns yeah. cites important industries like yeah. quantum computing, artificial intelligence, and semiconductors, sure. which the U.S. has targeted with unilateral sanctions. Yeah, sure. Benjamin, uh, let me uh, interrupt you here. Um, Jake Sullivan actually almost simultaneously was uh, elaborating on the implementation of the U.S. strategy, namely the confront, compete, and uh, cooperate diagram, confront where they uh, should compete where they must and cooperation when they could. I mean, I, people are getting confused. But at this time, uh, he was just talking about how the Biden administration has stabilized the relationship with, the United, uh, with China over the past year. And yet you are seeing this very hostile rhetoric, you know, treating China as the largest. And they are among the same administration. Mr. Gao, do you think that reveals something about this administration? I mean, can it really work? And can China really uh, react to this? You know, you want me to cooperate? with you but on the other hand you're doubling down spying on me how is China supposed to deal with this well first of all Washington is talking the talk about walking a different walk secondly when they talk about the three C's they actually have only one thing in mind that is to hold China down onto the ground as if there were there are no consequences however allow me to emphasize one point according to a US study China's manufacturing output is more than the next nine countries combined together. Therefore, I think this containment strategy by the United States against China will eventually end up in great failure because China is here, China will stand firm, China will develop, and eventually the United States and China need to get along with each other rather than Washington betting that they can hold China down. Now, this uh, speech on an article by Mr. Burns on behalf of CIA is alarming uh, to a certain extent because espionage, which is practiced by almost all countries in the world, is supposed, is supposed to be secretive yeah. and not to be, you know, uh, like laundry uh, aired in the uh, public. And this is extremely alarming because they are really digging in very deeply in this Cold War mentality and try to hold China uh, as the enemy of the United States, as the real rival of the United States, whereas the reality is just the opposite. China mm. is perfectly yeah, happy to well, live 
peacefully with the United States. Yeah, let's let's talk about this counter espionage law that was very much exposed in the international mainstream media. The law that China enacted, which took effect on July the first last year, China says it was to strengthen national security. However, when you look at some of the Western media reports, it was used as a tool for geopolitical confrontation with the U.S. or targeting international investments or business people operating in China. Uh, Benjamin, looking back. Do you think China did the right thing? I mean, are China's concern with national security actually warranted? Absolutely. And it's not just China. Many countries around the world have implemented similar national security laws. Ironically, the U.S. has very strict national security laws. But when other countries implement similar legislation, the U.S. accuses them of being authoritarian, supposedly. Well, if they're authoritarian, then the U.S. has been authoritarian for a very long time, especially since 9-11 and, and all of these very you know, uh, Orwellian laws, you m mentioned that term Orwellian. The U.S. is the master in surveillance. And actually, the U.S. surveils countries around the world, as we've seen through the reports of, of whistleblowers like Edward Snowden. But back on the subject of China and national security, this shows this double standard in which the United States tries to have its cake and eat it, eat it too. The U.S. boasts publicly that it's expanding its spying on China it boasts that it's doubling its budget for CIA operations. And yet if China responds to the, these public revelations by, by furthering increasing its security, then the U.S. says that they're supposedly being authoritarian. This is what the U.S. has done with many countries. It boasts of its ability to meddle in their internal affairs. And when those countries respond with their own sovereign yeah. policies to defend their national security, the U.S. attacks them. So once again, we see this very kind of hegemonic mentality. If the U.S. were not engaged in such aggressive policies, I agree, it would be very, a very real possibility to have mutual cooperation, win-win cooperation. That's what I, as an American person, want. That's what many people I know in the U.S. want. But yeah. unfortunately, the political class and some of these big corporate monopolies, they want competition because they see China its its economy as a threat to their dominance of the world mm -hmm. and they don't believe in cooperation they yeah. believe in a zero-sum well, game that, mentality that definitely makes it more difficult for the chinese authority to try to work with the united states for mutual benefit china in reaction to this report has said that china will as always be vigilant and won't let the u.s illegal practice have its way let's let's hope that china is not being hooked to overreact but uh, what i find interesting is in the same article and i'm going to to mention this very briefly because I have a limited amount of time left. In the same article, Mr. Burns also wrote about Ukraine. He says the key to success lies in preserving Western aid for Ukraine. At uh, less than 5% the U.S. defense budget, it is relatively modest investment with significant geopolitical returns for the United States and notable returns for American industry. Uh, Victor, <laughs> How do you look at the CIA director talking about, you know, notable returns for American industry and geopolitical gains for the United States with a modest investment in, in Ukraine aid here? Well, whatever return that Mr. Burns is talking about to the United States in many uh, respects of the world is at the huge cost of civilian lives uh, suffered in Ukraine. I think the only right thing is to achieve ceasefire as quickly as possible to bring this war to an end and through peace and diplomacy to preserve 
the sovereignty of Ukraine as a uh, member state of the United Nations. That's the only right thing. I think CIA should get out of this uh, big uh, scam of urging the Ukrainian people to fight to the last uh, Ukrainian without sacrificing any American life and also for the defense industry to make huge amount of money out of this war in Ukraine. It is time to bring this war to an end as quickly as possible. Okay, we are going to leave it there. Uh, many thanks to my guest Benjamin Norton, Editor-in-Chief of Geopolitical Economy Report, and Victor Gao, Chair Professor with Suto University. With that, we come to the end of this edition of The Point with me, Li Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Li Xin in Beijing. We've got that.